Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. This week, we read Ezra chapters 5 and 6. This is likely to be one of the shorter podcasts. You know, I hate to give you teeny tiny little podcasts, but next week when we read chapter 7 through 10, I know that I'm going to need more time to give you a little bit of a rant at the end. So I'm going to um, only cover chapters 5 and 6 in this one. It's been a week or so since we were reading in Ezra. So as we jump back in to chapter 5, in verses 1 through 17, the entire chapter, we see another account of the rebuilding that is happening in Jerusalem. This one, it says, is led by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Um, So we have two prophets working who are contemporaries of one another, working together to inspire the people and keep them on track with the rebuilding. In chapter 5, verse 1, it refers to Zechariah as son of Edo. Um, In Zechariah's own prophetic book, he is called the grandson of Edo. Now, this is not a contradiction. The word son just means descendant of someone who comes out of that line. So he is a son of Edo. He's just a son of Edo once removed as a grandson. Um, So it's not a contradiction. But we have the story of some political authorities showing up to question what they're doing. They want to be sure that they have permission to do the work that they're doing. Hey, I don't know that you're supposed to be doing this. Without permission from the empire, from the Persian empire, they would have been committing treason. So they're coming to investigate and see. They're told we do. We're we're doing what we were told we could do. They don't fully trust it. So they send a report to now King Darius to substantiate whether or not they have permission. It's interesting to me that the people here who are doing the rebuilding, they are respectful, but they're also very clear that God's authority overrides any governmental authority. This has always been the problem with the Hebrew people and with the Christian people, is that our loyalty is first and foremost to God. As Christians, our first loyalty is to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We follow Christ over any other authority at all. And so that has caused conflict often with governments, with empires um, who wanted prime loyalty and prime obedience. And over and over and over, those who um, members of our faith say, no, we we are loyal first and foremost to God. So we see them kind of asserting that here. In chapter 6, we see that an investigation is undertaken to see that, and Cyrus's decree that they could go home and rebuild is found. Darius affirms it, reinstates it. All the cost of this rebuilding is to be borne by the empire, and there is now punishment for those who would try to stop this work from happening. 
That's a pretty ringing endorsement by a government for which this is not their faith. (laughs) They're going to pay for stuff. But that's the difference between the Persian Empire and some of the others, is they recognize that allowing people to have their home, to have a safe environment, to practice their own faith, to not be prisoners and slaves, increase loyalty to that empire. Like you didn't mind being under their rule if you pretty much got to do what you wanted to do. In verses 13 through 18, we now have the work being completed. It's completed on the third day of the month of Adar, which would have been February or Marchish on our calendar. And this would have been the year 516, 515, maybe BC. They rededicate the temple. This rededication is not as elaborate as the one of Solomon. Solomon's temple was glorious. It was during the golden age of the Hebrew people, and he had an enormous dedication and festival. At that time, Solomon slaughtered 21,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep for the sacrifices and barbecue surrounding that dedication. Remember that when these animals are slaughtered, pieces of the animals are offered as burnt offerings before God. Some parts of the animal are kept by the Levites and the priests as their food and to feed their families. And then other parts, the rest of it gets to be taken home by the family that brought the animal for their food. This is almost a way of kosher slaughtering of animals for food. Um, that then also acknowledges and involves God in that. The dedication now, this dedication, they, they slaughter 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and 12 male goats. So not nearly as much, but they're doing the best that they can. It also talks about the priestly divisions and the Levites. Remember when they originally came into the promised land, the priests, the tribe of Levi, did not get territory. They were distributed in cities throughout the other tribes' areas and around Jerusalem. And every male between the ages of 30 and 50 would come to Jerusalem to serve for portions of time. The priests, who had to be descendants of Aaron, were the ones who would have actually offered the sacrifices and would have ministered inside the temple proper in the holy place. The rest of the tribe of Levi were support. They helped with other things around the temple complex. The divisions were the groups into which they were placed, and the courses that it mentions is the schedule for which they came to serve. So they're reinstituting all of this and trying to put it back right. And they're showing that this is connected to the way things have been. It uses the phrase, and it is written as it is written in the book of Moses. So what they're saying is, we're continuing the faithfulness of our people. We're continuing the commands of God. There have been interruptions, but here we are being faithful. And in verses 19 through 22, they're going to celebrate the Passover. By now, Passover is being observed on a fixed date, and it has been consolidated with the Festival of Unleavened Bread. You can go back and read more about it that in Leviticus 23, 4 through 8. Originally, 
Passover was a single event and a meal that remembered that last meal before they left Egypt. Then they ate unleavened bread for another seven days after, or for a total of eight days, to remember that when they left, they didn't have time for the bread to rise. And then there was a first fruits festival. All of those have gotten stirred in together and have just become known as the Passover celebration, which now lasts for eight days. And no longer does it move quite so much. There's a day that has, this is when we observe Passover. So we see in chapters five and six, a challenge to their permission to be doing what they're doing, an affirmation of it, a fairly ringing endorsement of their religious work by a government in the way of paying for it and punishing those who come against it. And we see Haggai and Zechariah helping them remain faithful, focused, and persistent until the work is completed, the temple is rededicated, and now proper things like Passover and Holy Days can begin to happen again. That takes us through Ezra chapters 5 and 6. Hang on for chapter 7 through 10 coming soon.